Alright, good evening everybody. Welcome back to the Return of the Shadow, class number six. So tonight we are <clears throat> going, we're returning to Bree, and we are going to work through uh, with Tolkien the whole transition about finding out about Gandalf, who has the letter and who's seen the, the ring wraiths and all that. Uh, but of course I hope to be looking a little bit more at the big picture. The main thing of course is that this is our big first encounter, not first encounter, we had that last time, our big uh, first amount of time spent with Trotter, the wild ranger hobbit, uh, and uh, I, which I find shocking. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Shocking is the word that I find uh, for for um, for Trotter. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah, this is uh, not as excited for Trotter. I I, I, I agree. This is uh, well, I, I'll have plenty to say about that, Nadia. Um, but first, just a a, a quick. Um, uh, couple announcements just to remind you tomorrow evening well afternoon american time is the uh the last session the third and final session of tom shippey's beowulf seminar that he's been doing with us he's going to be talking about uh the 2014 beowulf uh edition uh tomorrow uh so i'm really looking forward to that uh uh shippey's classes are always great fun uh again if you've never had the opportunity make sure you don't miss this one um the the videos of course are up on youtube and everything but i strongly encourage you to attend live if you possibly can um and um uh secondly i i think many of you uh have been um following my new exploring the lord of the rings class um if not there's still time uh to get caught up uh and i really encourage you to do it this is been so much fun i can't even tell you uh the Exploring the Word of the Rings class has become something of a like wish fulfillment for me personally. I have never, ever sat down with the Lord of the Rings and gone through it in the level of detail that I'm doing in that class. I've always wanted to, um, but I've never, never, never had the chance or anything like the opportunity. I've never been able to talk my way through that book without any of the kinds of constraints, you know, semester constraints or anything like that. Um, but we are moving at a delightfully deliberate pace through the Fellowship of the Ring in that class. Um, I know that you guys tease me for not getting through everything uh, in Mythgard Academy classes, but let me tell you, compared to the Exploring the Lord of the Rings class, this the pace of this class is like, you know, a runaway truck careening down a mountainside. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of incredible, actually. Um, I'm planning at least four and possibly five class sessions on chapter two of the Fellowship of the Ring last night. Last night was the, was our fourth session in exploring the Lord of the Rings. And I had planned, I had planned out my slides to cover four pages of text, okay? For the first four pages of chapter two of The Fellowship of the Ring, and I didn't quite make it. There were two slides I didn't get to. So that's kind of what we're doing. And it's 
awesome. I mean, I just love it. It's been fantastic. So, uh, I, 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 again, you know, the, 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 the wonderful thing is it won't take you long to get caught up on the reading, uh, if you've, uh, been missing it so far, but it's been great and a really wonderful, uh, uh, community has been forming. We've been consistently, uh, well over, uh, 200, over 300 people last night. So, uh, it's been a, it's, it's been a wonderful crowd. Uh, uh, and, uh, as I said, it's sort of a, a growing community, uh, that's been, uh, been really developing around that class and on the, the, uh, discussion forum that we have, um, uh, for that. So it's been, it's been really cool. And I hope you, uh, uh, take the chance to, um, um, to, to get through that. Good. James, I'm glad you've been able to get the, uh, the audio from that. Yeah. We had, we had a couple issues with the podcast. Oh, look at this. Yeah. No, thank you. Oh, I'm good. Um, uh, we had a we had a couple issues with the um, uh, the podcast feed a while back. XML gives me hives, uh, but anyway, we we sorted it. So I'm glad you were able you were able to get it exactly. Oliver says one more year, <laughs> one more year. Yeah, it's really more the pace of things, Oliver. That's more like what it's uh, what is what it's likely to happen. I now my my uh, my aspirations of getting through the Lord of the Rings anytime before the year 2020 are really kind of sort of fading into the distance in, into the in, into the distance and that's fine that is completely fine and I love it uh, so uh, anyway yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be one more decade Josh it's gonna be more like the speed um, <laughs> yeah. So, and the 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 Lotra element has been really fun too. Uh, being able to go through and do, I've I've been really enjoying our field trips. We did our field trip to the North Farthing and saw the walking tree and and talked about the way that they've developed with the uh, 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 up in the northeast of the Shire, Rushik Bog and Needle Hole and stuff. So that was fun. Uh, we're probably next week. Well, I'm not. I'm actually. I'm. I'm, I'm not sure. It depends. I have to. First, I have to choose which slides I'm going to cover uh, next time, you know, which which bits of the conversation between Gandalf and Frodo I'm going to do, and then I'll decide on the field trip. Uh, probably in the Shire, but actually we might go further afield. We'll have to see where we go. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Ben, exactly. Uh, I'm hoping for a tree-beardian pace, absolutely, uh, through this. Um, so anyway, it's all good, but I get, this is just, just is just to say, if you've not been involved yet, uh, I, I, you join us cause it's, it's an awful lot of fun. I know that many of you are, uh, but, uh, anyway, wanted to mention it. All right. Let us carry on then. Let us go back to, uh, to Trotter and Bingo. Now, as I recall, we ended last week with a sing-along, right? We were talking about the troll song, and I didn't quite get to the cat and the fiddle, which, of course, I do want to get to, because uh, it's part of, you know, as Christopher emphasizes, it's part of this initial layer of, of writing that he shifts uh, from the um, from the uh, the troll song to the cat and the fiddle. Um, and what I want to do here, I'm not planning to go through the cat and the fiddle poem line by line, um, any more than I went through the troll song line by line, but I do want to make sure that we pause and really kind of think this through because in this initial composition, at this initial composition point, um, it, to me, it's really important to think about the poems. Tolkien includes 
poetry a lot, of course, and I have argued before and would argue again that it's always really important. You know, he does this for particular reasons. He's not, it's not just like, and now for some comic relief or now for something to, you know, and, and now some music, or now a musical interlude, you know, it's, it's not like that. Um, the, I mean, I've argued before, uh, both verbally and in print, that I think that the the poems, it's not about inserting poems into a story. The poems are themselves a really important part of the composition process. And there are some, some times we can see things taking shape ideas and themes and concepts and uh, moods and, 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 and even world building stuff taking shape in the poetry. And the, prose around it kind of follows suit or follows in its footsteps even. Anyway, it's an argument I've made before, especially about the Lord of the Rings poems. So I want to make sure not only that we don't skip over the poems in the sense of not analyzing, you know, not, not thinking about them, you know, not, not reading them carefully. That would obviously be foolish, but, but thinking about the role that they're playing here, you know, as part of this composition process. We saw, of course, last time that drinking song was really the event of Brie, right? When he first thought about Brie, you know, the first passage through Brie, which was super short, right? That one tiny little paragraph uh, in his projection notes. He didn't have any clear... Mu- Trotter was obviously a surprise, right? Trotter was not in his projections. Uh, there was no reference to Trotter, uh, uh, even of the most indirect kind. Um, so that was a surprise. But the one thing he did anticipate was the drinking song. So why? You know, why is it that... Uh, he wanted to do a song here and why these songs. Now, the one thing, of course, that we know we can immediately see that these two poems have in common, the two poems that he's choosing for this particular moment uh, for the song that Bingo sings, are they're both pre-existing poems, right? These are both poems that he has written before. And so in neither case, uh, neither his first impulse nor his second impulse is he composing a brand new poem here. Um, And on the one hand, that would seem to arguably kind of decouple the poem here from the composition process. And I would argue that that's that's the case to a certain extent. That is, we're less likely to get a kind of insight into, like, sort of thematically what's going on in Tolkien's mind by looking at the poem here um, than we would if he were composing the poem on the spot, as we, you know, have done and been looking at in some other places so far. Um, You know, because, again, like, the root of the boot and, uh, you know, the man in the moon song... um, you know the the themes of those songs and and uh you know it, it, many things about the emphasis and, and and stuff obviously existed completely independently and several decades earlier in some cases uh than this other text that he's writing at least one decade earlier um so so again so you can't exactly say that that uh you know this is this is this is the writing of those poems is an, is, is an important part of the composition process. But I would still insist that there is something important, something revealing about this choice. He's obviously deliberating over which poem. He's not just saying, like, I got a favorite poem. I'm going to slap that sucker in there, right? Because it would work. Um, 
And I was I made that argument already about the troll song at the end of last time that I think that the troll song works in some interesting ways. That is, it fits as a song that Bingo would choose to sing in that time and place, that that character would choose to sing in that time and place. It fits, it works, and it does integrate into... Uh, the, so again, it might not be quite as illuminating as a poem that he, that was kind of emerging at the time that he was writing this narrative, but it still is revealing, right? It still is interesting. So, But, of course, in this case, he shifts right away, right? Um, he, he, he barely gets anywhere before he doubles back and says, no, 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 cancel troll song, insert cat in the fiddle. So I want, of course, to ask the same kinds of questions about the cat in the fiddle. Why? Why the cat in the fiddle poem, right? What is it about this poem that makes him say... Okay, yeah, the troll song worked in lots of ways, right? And we know that that wasn't just a flippant idea. It was again, it was clearly not just like you know, cut and paste troll song into the narrative. He was revising the troll song, right? And we were told. Christopher says he went through several versions of revision. So he he sat down there for a while, right, with 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 the troll song. So that was not a whimsical choice. Therefore, the choice to jettison it and replace it with this other poem that he had already written is, uh, uh, again, also obviously very deliberate. So I'm going to read through The Cat and the Fiddle, um, and... uh, and I want you to be thinking about this as I go. As always, please do feel free to make comments. And by the way, for those of you who are um, who are watching uh, on Twitch, I am monitoring the Twitch chat as well, so you can you can post stuff there uh, uh, if you'd like, and I should be able to see it. Um, there is a bit of a delay if you get into the, the 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 webinar session. There is room in the webinar session, so if you get into the webinar session with everybody, um, it'll get rid of the time delay business. But you're welcome to stay on Twitch. The time delay is not a huge deal. Anyway, okay, so let's uh, let's look at the Cat and the Fiddle. Now, the Cat and the Fiddle poem is one of two Man in the Moon poems that Tolkien wrote. In a, at about the same time in the 1920s. They were both published in the 1920s. Uh, the title of this one was, uh, well, they had bunches of different kinds of subtitles and things, but this was The Man in the Moon uh, stayed, up too la- stayed Out Too Late, and the other one was The Man in the Moon Came Down Too Soon. Um, so of the two of them, he picks The Man in the Moon Stayed Up Too Late, which is, which is, which is this one. Uh, but again, it was this is there's so there was like a genre here, like the Man in the Moon poems. Uh, he, you know, the 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 that was like a thing with Tolkien, the Man in the Moon poems. Okay. Um, by the way, the Man in the Moon also features in a story that he wrote at this time, Rover Random. So he was he was he was big into the Man in the Moon. They say there's a little crooked inn behind an old gray hill where they brew a beer so very brown the man in the moon himself comes down and sometimes drinks his fill. And there the ostler has a cat that plays a five-stringed fiddle. Mine host a little dog so clever he laughs at any joke whatever and sometimes in the middle. They also keep a horned cow, tis said, with golden hooves, but music turns her head like ale and makes her wave her tufted tail and dance upon the roofs. But, oh, the rows of silver dishes and the store of silver spoons. For Sunday there's a special pair, and these they polish up with care on Saturday afternoons. The man in the moon had drunk too deep, the ostler's cat was totty. A dish made love to a Sunday spoon. The little dog saw all the jokes too soon, and the cow was dancing dotty. 
The man in the moon had another mug and fell beneath his chair, and there he called for still more ale, though the stars were fading thin and pale, and the dawn was on the stair. Then the ostler said to his tipsy cat, The white horses of the moon, they neigh and champ their silver bits, for their master's been and drowned his wits, and the sun'll be rising soon. Come play on your fiddle, a hey-diddle-diddle, a jig to wake the dead. So the cat played a terrible drunken tune, while the landlord shook the man in the moon. Tis after three, he said. They rolled him slowly up the hill and bundled him into the moon, and his horses galloping up in rear, and the cow came capering like a deer, and the dish embraced the spoon. The cat then suddenly changed the tune, the dog began to roar, the horses stood upon their heads, the guests all bounded from their beds and danced upon the floor. The cat broke all his fiddle strings, the cow jumped over the moon. The little dog howled to see such fun. In the middle, the Sunday dish, the Saturday dish did run away with the Sunday spoon. The round moon rolled off down the hill, but only just in time, for the sun looked up with fiery head and ordered everyone back to bed and the ending of the rhyme. All right. Um... What do you think? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about this poem? Now, of course, we have the obvious connection, the obvious connection which is established in the frame, right? You know, uh, the, the narrator, right, says it was about an inn, and that's why it came into his head, right? That happens with Bingo as soon as Tolkien makes this revision, and of course it sticks into the final version, as we all know. But there's more than that, right? I mean, yeah, it's about an inn, and this is a song in an inn, but that's not justification enough for making the change from the root of the boot. Right? It's clearly not. I mean, honestly, you could easily make an even stronger argument that the root of the boot is much more appropriate, right? Because the root of the boot is a pub song. That is, it's the, 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 the melody is a pub song. It's, it's shaped like a pub song. That is, it's got verses, and then at the end of each verse, there's that repeated business, right? Um, uh, where the and the whole point of that is the crowd is supposed to join in at the repeated lines. So the first, you know, the first the first few lines of the verse, right, are sung by the main singer. And then when you know when when you get into that like you know donor boner, you know, part that everybody joins in with the with the the sort of the the, the senseless rhymes and then repeats the last line with you. That's it, it, so it's supposed to be. It's kind of like a you know like a call and response. It's a crowd participation thing, right? Especially people who are at least slightly inebriated. So in this way, it actually so yes, this the the, the subject of this song is an in, but I mean apart apart from the fact that the story takes place is is set within an in. <clears throat> The other one is a much better song for Bingo to sing, right? Because he gets the, would get the crowd involved. And that all makes a whole lot of sense, right? Again, arguably more sense than this one makes by itself. <clears throat> so I certainly don't think that it's about an inn is sufficient justification. And again, especially knowing how much Tolkien loved The Root of the Boot, right? I can't imagine that he's like, oh, golly, I would love to do The Root of the Boot, but you know what? I have this inn song, and I really need an inn song here. Um, <clears throat> so, so more. What else? What else do we see? Let's see. Let me get to your uh, your comments here. There we are. Um, uh, 
Let's see. Yeah, I, several of you are remembering um, sort of the version of the poem, which is eventually in The Fellowship of the Ring, is kind of in your head, and you're sort of looking for lines that aren't there. Karita, you mentioned the uh, the business about the cow being as proud as any queen, right? Uh, instead of the cow with golden hooves. Which rhymes with roofs, right? Which is several of you have commented on that. Brandon and Karita both like the, the rhyming of, of hooves with roofs. Um, uh, which is clearly like a, a kind of lin- linguistic joke on Tolkien's part, right? Um, but anyway... So yes, yes, exactly. Now, Tolkien, like The Root of the Boot, right, Tolkien revised it uh, for this, and, and, and Christopher tells us that it gets pretty close to the final version, that is to say the, the Fellowship of the Ring published version of the Cat and the Fiddle song uh, within a couple drafts. Um, so we're getting there. What Christopher's giving us, both for both The Root of the Boot and for The Cat and the Fiddle, what he's giving us is the original published version, right? So we're getting the root of the boot as it was in the Songs for the Philologist, and we're getting the Cat and the Fiddle as it was published uh, uh, in that, was it was it the Oxford magazine? I forget, I forget which place. The um, Was it the Griffin? I, I, one, one of those publications where Tolkien sometimes published his poems uh, in the 20s and early 30s. Anyway, um, Christopher's giving us the original version. Keep in mind now that he's doing this because they've never been seen before, right? Uh, Before this book was published, very few people got copies of the songs for the philologists, right? Didn't have a wide circulation, more is the pity I say. Uh, And, of course, very few people, like, have their back copies of, like, the Oxford magazine from the 1920s. So the original versions of the Cat and the Fiddle song and the Root of the Boot song were of very great interest, you know, to people who, you know, to... Lord of the Rings fans, and this was the first time we ever saw them. We can now get access to those in, for instance, the wonderful new edition of The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, edited by uh, by Hammond and Skull, which they just released, what, two years ago? Um, a year and a half ago, something like that. Uh, which is awesome, and it has the original versions of all of the poems that Tolkien included in The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, including some never-before-published stuff, like we finally got the bumpus! Yes, Tolkien wrote a poem called The Bumpus. Long story. Don't worry about it right now. But the point is, um, we now have other places where we can get this kind of thing, right? Um, but we didn't at the time that Christopher published this. So, uh, so real grateful, uh, and, that's, and that's excellent. But so, 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 so he revises it from here to fit the narrative. But again, I, I'm kind of interested, actually, in looking at the starting point, because this is the poem... This is the poem that's in Tolkien's mind when he makes the decision, right? When he says, okay, root of the boot, you're out, cat in the fiddle is in, right? This is the cat in the fiddle of a poem in his head, right? The one that he wrote before and published before, right? Now he decides to revise it, and so thinking about the differences between this version and the published version is an interesting question, right? How... What kind of adaptations did he make? We looked in some broad ways at that um, for The Root of the Boot, right? We were looking at how he took out the explicitly Christian spiritual framework, right? The stuff about halos and hell and all that kind of thing, right? Um, Wearing black on a Sunday and churchyards and all that stuff. Um, All that stuff gets removed uh, from The Root of the Boot. There are ways, of course, that he changes the cat and the fiddle as well, Um, but again, my preliminary question here is, 
why? 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 What do we see in this poem? Try to back, And there's a reason, by the way, I read all four slides at once, right? I read through the entire poem at once because I want to think big picture here. What is this poem about? What is going on in this poem? What is the emphasis of this poem? What is this poem interested in? And how do those things fit for Bingo? Fit enough for Bingo to displace the root of the boot, which, as I said, I think fits pretty well, actually. Um, so, uh, more. What do we see? Let's see. Um, oh, it's in Yorkshire poetry. Right. Okay, thanks, James. Thanks, James. Um, okay, good. James is points out, okay, so, uh, 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 thinking about the moon, right? Uh, and the elvish talk that we've already had, um, the elvish associations with moonlight and starlight, right? So, um, but of course, James... In this song, we're not, obviously, I mean, of course, I'm not suggesting that you're implying this, right? We're obviously not getting an elvish story about this, right? Um, what we do get is a very, this is, um, well, a very hobbitish version, right? Much hobbitry going on here in this version. Um, and, but that's interesting, right? Uh, one way in which clearly, this kind of fits into this world. And remember the context. The prancing pony is a hobbit inn, right? This is pure hobbitry. 100% of people present at this event are hobbits in this version of the story. So we do have this fairy tale, nursery rhyme, right? Myth told in a purely hobbit context. So actually sort of throwing out there Having having given us some elvishness, James, right in the in the Elbereth song, right that they overhear the elves singing. There we got some we got some elf myth about you know stars and nocturnal stuff, right. And now we're getting hobbitry. So the idea that we get those things sort of put side by side, I think, is cool, right. I think that's that's definitely an interesting thing. Um. And no, James. No, I was not just trying to. Uh, I was just trying. I, I, I was not just trying to weight the bets on which slide I get to by reading all four at once. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. Stephen says uh, it starts as a jolly scene in an inn at an inn, which then devolves into madness, uh, and everything kind of cuts wild and goes crazy. That's really cool, Stephen, because you're right, right? It starts with everybody kind of sitting around and having a good time together, like they are at the Prancing Pony, and then things get more surreal, right? Increasingly surreal uh, as the poem goes on. Now, of course, things just get silly, right, within the song. Um, Things in the common room of the Prancing Pony are not going to get silly, um, but that sort of shift into... uh, at least the strange, right? Uh, to 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 be most mild about it, um, definitely is uh, is something that we're going to see. I think that's a really great uh, connection. Uh, yeah, Sarah uh, was saying even more broadly, it's about an in and unusual behavior. Uh, yes, good, Sarah. Not so. Not just think about the moon specifically, but 
uh, uh, something kind of aberrant here, right? You know, the the day when the moon uh, almost forgot to set, right? Um, this kind of disruption to the natural order, right? That's uh, uh, that seems interesting, right? And potentially relevant. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. I know I agree, Ben. It is just sort of funny chaos in the end, right? In the poem, um, which makes for an interesting kind of both setup and kind of uh, uh, contrast. Um, uh, oh uh, no, no, Brandon. Um, uh, when the dish makes love to the spoon, that's not uh, uh, pornographic, even on a on a flatware level. Um, uh, he's clearly. Uh, uh, 100% certain he is using the phrase making love in the uh, the old sense of that phrase. Uh, that is the same sense in which uh, Jane Austen used that phrase uh, to mean to like verbally declare. So if you are making love to a woman, it means you are like on your knees professing your love uh, to her, right? No physical contact contact of any kind need necess- uh, sometimes uh, fervent hand holding might accompany love making uh, in that way but even the even the 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 phrase uh, even the phrase love making was used very frequently um, uh, you may remember it from Dracula it was in Dracula though so myth uh, Mythgard Academy veterans may recall Lucy's letter to Mina where she describes um, uh, it's Quincy Morris's proposal uh, when Quincy Morris starts off by joking with her, of course, and using his like, you know, Western American slang. Uh, and then uh, Lucy says he begins to pour out a perfect torrent of lovemaking, right? Meaning he's expressing his very great love for her. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's so that's that is that is what making love and lovemaking means. It does not. Uh, I, that I don't know exactly when the phrase "making love" became a euphemism for having sex, but it definitely was not in Jane Austen's time, and it uh, is. Um, and I am one hundred percent sure that that's the sense in which the dish is making love to the spoon uh, uh, in uh, in in the song here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and yes, yes, Oliver, the dish is marrying up uh, with the spoon. See, even <laughs> even table settings. Uh, this is true, even of table settings. It's not just like you know, Baron and Luthien and and, uh, and Aragorn and Arwen. It's 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 you know, even the even the flatware marries up um, in uh, in Tolkien's world. Um, uh yeah yeah um okay good sorry i'm um sorting through bunches of uh bunches of comments there um oh that's really interesting to think about john i have to think about that for a second so john caldwell says um Linking the moon not setting, right, the whole sort of the, the, the kind of comical conceit of this song with the song that the Barrow White sang makes an interesting tie-in. Um, uh, 
Right. The Barrow White is talking about the cessation of time, right? When all of the regular wholesome processes of life will cease and die, right? Um, This is obviously not that. But I agree. It's an interesting kind of contrast, right? Um, Yeah, and I like that contrast. Just see, John, I've never thought about those two things side by side together, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting myself off of it, uh, because of course this, it's talking about an aberration to the natural order, in a sense, right? But it's not exactly an aberration to the natural order because it doesn't end up being. It's it's like a near aberration to the natural order. But even the aberration to the natural order is within a, a sort of a wholesome context. Um, here's another thing, John, on a similar note, that I would con- compare and contrast, right, the Man in the Moon song to, and that is to the story that Tolkien had in mind, and here I apologize, this comes from my, uh, uh, in my, uh, my private semi-chronological reread of Tolkien's corpus that I started this year. I'm in the Book of Lost Tales, Part 1. Uh, and so I've just been reading about Ungoliant uh, and the story that Tolkien uh, uh, told and, and, and kept for a while uh, in his early mythology about Ungoliant capturing uh, the sun and moon. So, I mean, this is like she's going she's gonna to lay a snare uh, and capture them and they, they'll, they'll need to be rescued. Um... That, of course, obviously, very different thing from what's going on with the moon here, but uh, but it's interesting, right? Both the Barrowite and the Ungoliant story are kind of fantasies of destruction, right? Of everything that is bright and wholesome about, you know, sort of the natural world and its cycles as they have been ordained and established, um, passing away. Right um, and being subsumed and thereby destroyed. Here, the aberration itself is not really an aberration, in the sense that going down to the pub to have a few pints <clears throat> is a perfectly normal and healthy thing to do. Right? I mean, we we have the man in the moon as being part of this kind of wacky but genial environment, right? Um, that kind of leads him into his into his excess. But even the excess, I mean, it happens to everybody every once in a while, right? Uh, you know, to kind of overdo it, you know, down to pub uh, one of those nights and, and uh, you know, end up having to get bundled into the <laughs> into your carriage and, and driven home. Um, you know, that, that, that happens, right? Um, in other words, it, it's bringing the moon down to a, to a, a well, I was going to say a human level, but of course not a, hu- a human level, uh, right? To a hobbit level. Um, in other words, again, it's not, it, it, though it's a disruption, it's, 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 it's not a destruction of the natural order. It is rather a, a joining of the natural order to, um, uh, to the social, the Hobbit social 
order, right? Um, and kind of an imagining of those two things, uh, of those two things coming together, uh, which again is really neat to be thinking of this in terms of sort of Hobbit mythology, right? Um, uh, so, yeah, I I I think it's. Uh, but now let's bring it back to bingo. I do like the observations that several several of you guys were uh, were making about um, the sort of the way that this devolves into chaos and the way that the song therefore um, anticipates what's going to happen, right? Um, and the sort of the sh- and, and the the shift from genial comedy into you know, madness and chaos. Um, but where the sort of the fun intensifies and intensifies until the fact, until like the guests who are not participating in this, right? The people who did not stay up too late, uh, down in the common room, but indeed retired up to their beds in the inn, uh, and were soundly asleep, spontaneously bound out of their beds and dance upon the floor, right? Because everyone is just caught up, uh, in the revelry of the moment. Um, and there's a there's sort of an irony uh, there. Um, let's see. Michael says, uh, "Could the man in the moon be Gandalf?" Uh, I don't know. I don't see. Well, Michael. Okay. On the one hand, the man in the moon is very wizardly, definitely. Um, and this, there's nowhere is that more clear than in Rover Random. As I said, the man in the moon is in Rover Random. Uh, he seems to be, if not exactly the same man in the moon, a very similar man in the moon. Um, and he's a, he's, a, he's a wizard. He's a magician like the other. There are several wizards um, whom we meet in uh, Rover Random. And the man in the moon is one of them. He's, he's, he's like the most powerful of them. Uh, but um, but he's, he's a wizard. Uh, so there is some reason to be thinking in uh, to be thinking in those terms, to be thinking of of the man in the moon in sort of wizardly ways. But I don't know. Uh, so okay, I'm Michael. All right, I'm 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 seeing your way of thinking here. Michael is thinking about Gandalf's visits to Hobbiton specifically, thinking of that parallel, just as the man in the moon uh, comes down, right? And and remember why. Why does he come down? It's because of how very brown the beer at this little crooked inn was, right? The beer at this inn has such a high reputation that occasionally the man in the moon himself comes down and sometimes drinks his fill. And so this is what's making Michael think of Gandalf, right? Just as Gandalf sometimes comes and immerses himself in hobbit culture, right? Presumably because he likes it, right? Because he enjoys it. It's not his cult. He is uh, above it, right? In a sense. Not, okay, not the same sense as the man in the moon is above it, but um, but that's interesting. Uh, I, I, I like I like that idea. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Josh, yeah, Josh is thinking of the other Man in the Moon poem, The Man in the Moon Came Down Too Soon. Um, the motivation for The Man in the Moon in the other poem, 
to come down is, Josh, as you were quoting, that he's looking for fire and gold and songs of old and the red wine flowing free. He wants bright colored things and, and like the moon is beautiful, but it's a little dull. Well, not dull. It's bright, but it's boring. Um, it's it's um, monochrome, right? He wants a little color, right? He wants to uh, he wants to take part in like the active world uh, and in human society uh, and something fiery and blue and green and cool stuff, right? Um, or warm stuff, really. Again, the moon fairly cool. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but, um, I don't know, Josh, I mean, I don't know how much we can, we can make, again, I'm thinking of Michael's Gandalf parallel in some ways, but, uh, the opening of this, of course, serves as a nice little, like in context, Bingo thinking of this song. The first stanza, uh, well, crooked, not so much of a compliment to Butterbur, uh, but the rest of it, like the the idea, the conceit that there was a little inn whose beer w- had such a high reputation that the man in the moon sometimes came down to drink his fill there, um, is a nice little sort of conceit, right? Is a fun little kind of compliment <clears throat> to Butterbur, or at least could be taken as such, um, and kind of a spin off from there. One of the things you'll see, I myself don't feel like I have a really good answer to this question. I'm still, ser- I'm still seeking an excellent answer to this question. I like the idea about the, the dissolving into chaos. I like that. It doesn't feel adequate to me. I still am not sure that I understand myself why Tolkien turned from the root of the boot. The root of the boot seems to me to fit better. So I'm trying to, I'm still trying to kind of wrap my own brain around this. Um, and, uh, yeah, there is the, hmm, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, um, Uh, Kate asks, do I think it fits more with the idea of this being a Hobbit sequel? Hmm. I guess, big picture, the number one thing, if I had to say, if I had to say the number one reason that I felt that The Cat and the Fiddle is a more fitting is more fitting in general atmosphere to the occasion than the root of the boot. The number one thing I would point to is the relative increase of hobbitry, right? Inasmuch as the Prancing Pony is an exclusively hobbit establishment at this point, this is a very hobbity song. Very hobbity. More hobbity, even, than the root of the boot. Um, because... Again, not that the root of the boot is unhobbity or unfitting of Sam or anything later on, but there's more pure hobbitry here. Um, and it works better as a kind of insight to the sort of thing that hobbits like, the sort of song. I mean, the attitude of Tom 
in the root of the boot. I said it kind of fits bingo in some ways, but the ways in which it fits bingo are kind of unusual for hobbits. That is, our ways in which he is unusual for hobbits. I wouldn't call the root of the boot like a typical kind of hobbit song or a typical sort of snapshot into hobbit culture. Whereas this one, you know, it does show you more about what hobbits value and sort of that whole general atmosphere. And maybe that's what Tolkien felt was important here. You know, maybe what he wanted was something more hobbity, right? More sort of pure pure fun, less attitude, because there is attitude, right? There's definitely some tood going on in the root of the boot, right? Uh, and there's a moral to it, right? And there's not really a moral to this. It's just, it's just silly. And it's like, the, uh, not to mention that it's like this whole convoluted joke, right? Uh, you know, with, with the, the play on the nursery rhyme and all that, you know, the idea that this is the, uh, you know, the, 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 the crack that the narrator is then enabled to make, right, about how, you know, only a few lines of it are now as a rule remembered, right? Um, it's the kind of joke that hobbits would like, right? So, um, so maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just that. Maybe that works much better, right? Um, Yeah, maybe it does. Maybe it does. Maybe maybe that's just it. Um, yeah, and so Kate Kate says that's what she was thinking about the idea of it being a Hobbit sequel that you know, uh, with its being more more Hobbity and more relating to Roverandom, sort of more in tone. Kate sort of in fitting with the Hobbit stuff, right? Thinking along the lines uh, of the Hobbit, as clearly, although the Black Riders have intervened. Right, and remember that was the moment when this ceased to be just a straightforward. Hey, we're kind of redoing Hobbit stuff, right? And began to really grow into its own story. There's still plenty of evidence that he's still committed to making this a sequel to the Hobbit, right? A fitting sequel to the Hobbit on the same level and sort of in the same tone as the Hobbit. Um, he's not. It's not. The story hasn't yet grown up in the way. That's the phrase he's going to use of it later on. Um, but I don't think that's really happened yet. I think uh, that he is still, Kate, as you're suggesting, thinking of it as still a Hobbit sequel. And this makes it more... This Certainly this song is more like the songs in The Hobbit than uh, really than The Root of the Boot. But, I mean, both of them would are kind of all right in that regard. But it does kind of, you know, fit better in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Oliver, there, there, there isn't evidence that he wanted to save the troll song for the trolls. I mean, he's going to put him in there, obviously, later on with Sam. But as Christopher's already mentioned, he doesn't do that right away. In this draft, he's, he's, he's not going to get there. Um, to the song, I mean. It's going to be in a, in, a, in a significantly later version of, you know, a, a, a totally different crack at this part of the story that he's going to bring uh, that song in and give it to Sam. So it's clearly not his original. When he puts this in, he's not thinking, all right, hang on, I'm, I'm going to hold off on the troll song till we get to the trolls, right? There's no evidence that he was thinking that. Um, he seems to have just canceled it, right? Not that he's ever given up any idea of ever using it, but um, he does not seem to have any active plans uh, for that. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe that'll do. Maybe that'll do. We'll see. If I come up with a better explanation later on, uh, I'll, uh, I'll go there. Let's talk about Trotter. I did not see who Fernie was talking to, nor did I hear what was said. The voices were hisses and whispers. That is the end of my news. You must do what you like about my reward. But as for my coming with you, I will say just this. I know all the lands between the Shire and the mountains, for I have wandered over most of them in the course of my life, and I am older now than I look. But I might prove useful, for I fancy you'll have to leave the open road after tonight's accident. I don't think somehow that you will be wanting to meet any of these black riders if you can help it. They give me the creeps. He shuddered, and they saw with surprise that he had drawn his hood over his face, which was buried in his hands. The room seemed very still and quiet, and the lights dim. There, it has passed, he said after a moment, throwing back his hood and pushing his hair from his face. Perhaps I know or guess more about these riders than even you do. You do not fear them enough, yet, but it seems likely enough to me that news of you will reach them before the night is old. Tomorrow you will have to go swiftly and secretly, if possible. But Trotter can take you by ways that are little trod. Will you have him? All right. <laughs> Oliver says uh, it floors him that Bill Fernie is older than Aragorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Fernie is original. Aragorn is Johnny Come Lately to this story. Absolutely. Kind of shocking, isn't it? Um... I don't even know how to put into words my reaction to Trotter. I mentioned last time that Trotter is my least favorite name, that I would rather have both Bingo and Marmaduke combined than Trotter. Um, but when I said earlier on that shocking is the word that I, that I, that I would use about Trotter, that's not what I mean. I mean, yeah, I, I dislike the name, but it's not just that. Um, reading this section of The Return of the Shadow gives me, I think, one of the most poignant senses of cognitive dissonance that I have in any part of anything that Tolkien ever wrote. I just, I have a hard time, (laughs) a really hard time wrapping my, like, my brain won't do it. I can't get my brain to do it. So, here, let me just try to spell out exactly my problem here. My problem here is that Trotter is exactly the same as Aragorn, right? I mean, I know Tolkien does this. I've taught, we've talked about this, right? We've talked about how Tolkien will take the same scene, same dialogue, right, but he'll rework it and recontextualize it. So although he's changed very, very little, yet the whole thing is dramatically different, right? We've talked about that. That's what he does with Trotter, obviously. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge example of that. But the leap is so great. The leap from Trotter the ranger. Even, again, like the idea of what rangers are, what the word ranger means, right? Um, there is nowhere that I can think of um, 
there's nowhere that I can think of in all of the history of the Lord of the Rings books where the original version is more jarring to me than the this initial chapter about Trotter. And what makes it so jarring is how little difference it is, or to say different it is, or to say that same thing in a different way. What, how large a percentage of the original things that Trotter does and Trotter says are given to Aragorn in the final version. If these scenes were much different, right? Um, if their adventures in Bree bore very little relation to the adventures that they were going to have, it would be less jarring to me. For instance, think about the um, interaction with Farmer Maggot, right? The interaction with Farmer Maggot in this version was, you know, this version that we're working through here. We're coming up towards the end of it, right? We'll have, I think, one more class, and then uh, we're going to get up to where Tolkien stops and goes back and starts again, right? So, uh, but you know, so we'll, we'll, have, we'll have finished like the where kind of the tide rose up to the first time, right? Um, so in this phase, in this version of the of the story, the the meeting with Farmer Maggot is very different. The stuff with the the his dogs, right, and the stuff with the like the beer prank and all that. I mean, it's it's a very different. The whole scene feels very different. But again, that is way less jarring to me than um, uh, way less jarring to me than the similarity of the Trotter scenes with Strider's scenes in the published book. I wish it were different. My brain wishes it were different, because of course, what um, what we come to see, right, as we're reading through this, it's like, oh my gosh. Everything Aragorn says, almost everything Aragorn says to Frodo uh, and the rest of them wasn't written for Aragorn, it was written for Trotter. Right? Aragorn says those things because Trotter said those things. Even rangers, they're called rangers because that fit Trotter and the wild hobbits. And because remember, there's it's a class. That is, there's a set of them. It's not just Trotter. He's not an isolated case. Because when, remember when Butterbur says there's no accounting for East or West? Meaning the Rangers and the Shire folk, right? The Rangers are East. And in the minds of the Bree people, they're equally balanced with the Shire. So over in the West, we've got the Shire folks. Over in the East, we got the Rangers, right? They're in some sense balanceable or equivalent-ish, right? At least kind of conceptually. Uh, So, yeah. Anyway, um, so that idea that rangers are a subset of hobbits, um, and they are a particular subculture of hobbits, which is to be counterpoised against the hobbits of the Shire. And this plays into what we were talking about about Bree and the interesting transitional role that Bree is placed in in the new context, right? By making Bree into an entirely hobbit settlement. Of course, we saw in the, his very first attempt, right, when he first sat down and wrote those first couple paragraphs of the Bree chapter, Bree was a human place, right? There were some humans and some hobbits in it, like the final version, right? But he stopped that. He, you know, he, he fairly quickly went back and said, nah, cancel that, right? They're all hobbits. 
And we talked about how that placed Brie in this transitional mode um, from east to west. It places Brie not on the outskirts of Hobbit society, not at the place where Hobbit society starts, you know, that sort of the 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 end boundary of Hobbit society and the beginning of non-Hobbit society, right? That it's the frontier where those two things meet. No, instead of that, we get we have Bree as the center of Hobbit society, right? Uh, the Shire isn't the center. The Shire is an extreme. It's one end of the spectrum. Rangers on the one hand, Shire Hobbits on the other hand, Bree smack dab in the middle. Right, um, and so the way in which that reorients our way of looking at the world, right, which again seems to be part of the story here, right, as Bingo goes off into the wider world here, it's one of this is clearly one of the ways in which his eyes are being opened. Also, the fact that like there are evil creatures out there, and some of them might be sneaking and sniffing after you and trying to kill you, is another way in which his eyes have been opened, of course. But uh, but his kind of education into greater Hobbit. Well, not society exactly, um, but uh, but yeah. And Sarah, good Sarah Lagarde reminds me. Don't forget uh, Gollum in this equation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because remember we saw in that uh, sort of short version of the Gandalf Frodo talk that Tolkien went back and did right in this time after he did the Ring Wraith stuff. We did that a couple classes ago. Um, in that segment. One of the very first things he did was the story of, of Gollum, right? Bringing in the concept that Gollum was originally a hobbit. Um, so, so, Sarah, you see the implications there, right? This makes Gollum the most easterly of hobbits. In other words, what? Gollum is at the far end of the... Extre- at the far extreme end of the spectrum where Trotter... Of, of, of like he's at the Gollum is at the extreme end of Trotter's end of the spectrum, basically, right? And that's kind of uh, uh, shocking, right? In its way. Um, uh, anyway, all these lines, all these familiar lines, fit. Trotter, the Hobbit, really well, right? Um, it's not that they don't fit Aragorn. They do. It works fine. Tolkien does his normal, brilliant retcon thing where he makes it fit in such a way that, you know, I don't think any of us, when reading The Fellowship of the Ring, were like, gosh, this sounds weird, right? Aragorn's lines here. Um, it doesn't sound weird. It's good. It works. Um, but um, but anyway, it's there's uh, Tolkien's retcon. Of course, the thing that several of you have been noticing, and that I do want to finally come around to uh, to, to to talking over. Actually, no, but hang on, Stephen. I want to pick up on your comment first. Exactly, Stephen says. So originally, the story was going to be far more Hobbit centric. Stephen, it seems, at least so far, we know they're getting to Rivendell, and that Rivendell is the last homely house, that Rivendell is definitely on the outskirts of Hobbit society, right? So 
we're going to get there. We are going to get past. And we've already had the encounter with Elvish society, right? We've already had that meeting with Gildor in the Shire. And so we've already seen sort of the mingling there. So we're already kind of working with that. Um, but yeah, Stephen, it do, that does seem to be a perfectly justifiable um, conclusion to draw from where we see him taking the story at this stage, both with Trotter personally uh, and with Bree in general. At this stage, it seems to be... And, you know, Kate, of course, I can't help but go back to the comment that you made before. It does It does show, it does suggest um, Tolkien's sequel focus, Right? that he's still thinking of this as a sequel to The Hobbit story, and as a sequel to The Hobbit. And therefore, one of the things that we seem to be getting, one of the things that he seems interested in doing, is filling out The Hobbit world more, right? Not yet fully placing it within the larger world that we will come to see later on. Uh, Again, that may be happening, but remember... It wasn't that long ago in this version that we were debating that, like, Tolkien himself seemed to be considering making the Ringwraiths themselves native to the Hobbit's region, right? Making them Barrowites. So, um, it's not obvious that they were ever going to really be outside of the Hobbit. It might have been that, like, this larger Hobbit realm that is now kind of opening before us and opening before Bingo uh, as well, of course, might have been really the theater of action for the whole story. That seems possible, right? We don't know necessarily that when they get to Rivendell, they're necessarily going to keep going east and south, right? We have had that one tantalizing line in the outlines, right, about the quest for the Fiery Mountain, but we don't know where the Fiery Mountain is or why they're going there yet. So, um, uh, anyway, yeah, I, uh, um, so, but 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 again, in general, we st- this it still seems entirely possible that what's actually going to be happening is they're going to go to Rivendell, past the edge, and then maybe they'll come back, right? Again, especially if the Black Riders are really focused on this region. But no, remember we've already gotten Mordor, right? So we're already pushing it outwards, right? We you know we that 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 impulse is already clearly there, and yet this idea of the sort of the Hobbit, um, the 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 larger view of the bigger Hobbit realm is also definitely there. Um, <laughs> Kale says, thank goodness uh, Tolkien didn't originally make the Barrow Whites Hobbits too. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We did, uh, um, uh, we did sort of get spared that. Um, yeah, good. Um, all right. All right. Um, yeah, Nadia says it's almost like he was saying to the publishers, "You want more hobbits? All right, I'll give you more hobbits." Well, exactly, Nadia. And 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 again, it it makes sense. Think about the kinds of protestations that Tolkien has been making about how little material he feels like he has. Right, like he blew his wad on the Hobbit. Right, and he didn't really save anything for the sequel. He's already been on record saying that. Again, remember he's saying that, trying to convince them that they'd, they'd really be better served just publishing the Silmarillion, but um, but it seems to be true. So, Nadia, it seems that one of the things, perhaps, that he's thinking here is well, let's if we like Hobbit, if we like the Hobbit you know, and we like Hobbits, then let's focus more on Hobbit world, right? Let's settle down here for a bit. B- Bilbo just left it behind, right? 
um, in one chapter, which took place entirely within his own house, and we never saw Bilbo interacting with other hobbits, um, and then he quickly leaves the realm of hobbits, you know, within the first few pages of chapter two, and he's thinking back to his own, but it's always about his own home, right? We never really, we heard some, we heard some indirect things about what his neighbors thought of him at the beginning and the end, but we never really, we never really got to dig into hobbit culture, right? And so that seems to be, remember that impulse that Tolkien has? Remember that conversation about houses versus holes and throwing your dishes out the window that, that uh, you know, Bingo and Odo and Frodo were having on their way across the Marish? We can see Tolkien indulging in more world building, right? More, more Hobbit world building. Um, and this seems like it's the next step of the same kind of thing. But not all hobbits would be in the Shire, right? What would other hobbits be like? What would hobbits who lived in the wild be like? Enter Trotter, right? And now we get this whole other class uh, of hobbits. So, um, yeah, this uh, that all makes sense in a certain way, right? And again, I'm not saying this was necessarily Tolkien's uh, train of thought. Uh, I'm just saying this seems to be the trend that you, we, you know, when we look at this story and we, you know, we, keep trying to kind of pull back to that big picture and say, what's happening here, right? In what sense does this seem to be standing as a, a sequel to The Hobbit? It all kind of uh, it all kind of makes sense. But going back, Stephen, you distracted me. Uh, <laughs> thinking, going back as I was about to do before uh, to the, the moment in this, or rather the single line in this scene which is most different from anything that Aragorn says, right? What's the one line, which is totally different from Aragorn's line. Exactly. Yeah, they give me the creeps. That's it. That's it. They give me the creeps. Um, it does seem a little bit, uh, well, it's more hobbity, right? But notice, there seems to be some hobbit understatement going on here, Right? They give me the creeps sounds kind of mild, right? You know, like, uh, uh, it's like, ah, I don't know, they kind of creep me out a little bit, those, those guys. He's not just saying they kind of creep him out a little bit, right? Um, he, has, he draws his hood over his face. He buries his face in his hands and, and, and draws his hood down right over his face. Um, and then says, there it has passed, Right, what has passed? This mood, this memory, this feeling that he has. What's happening to him? Right. Um, uh, on the one hand, uh, do you remember what Strider says? Right. He doesn't say they give me the creeps. He says they are terrible. Right? They are terrible, he says. He doesn't talk about himself. He's talking about them. The Ringwraiths, right? The Black Riders. Trotter is revealing something about himself. First in his words, right? This is the effect they have on me, right? And although his words are light, I think... I mean, of course, it's quite possible that the phrase gives me, give me the creeps has changed in connotation between, you know, 1938 and now. <clears throat> but I still suspect that Trotter is deliberately speaking lightly, 
right? He's speaking lightly of something which is obviously not light at all, right? Um, his words are light, but his actions show that this is extremely serious. They're surprised to see him go this way, right? I mean, he has a physiological reaction. He shudders, and he's not in the presence of the Black Riders here, right? But just thinking about them makes him shudder and kind of curl up on himself and pull his hood down. And um, Nancy, yeah, there's a, there's clearly, there's something here, right? There's a history here. Um, it does, Karita, it exactly sounds like he's got PTSD. Absolutely. There's, uh, he can't, he can barely bear to think of the Black Riders. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that Give Me the Creeps is designed to be a, you know, a hobbit flippancy um, of treating a, treating a very, very serious thing. Um, uh, Yana, we haven't been given any hint that there's any correlation <clears throat> between his shuddering, Trotter's shuddering, and his wooden shoes. I see no reason to suspect that as yet. But is it possible that that's already in Tolkien's mind? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Um, uh, Stephen says, uh, as Stephen Cover says, maybe after abandoning the idea that Black Riders are Barrowites, Tolkien decided Black Riders should be Rangers. Hmm. Hmm. What kind of personal experience does he have with them? I mean, the Black Riders are ringwraiths, right? The, those who have passed through the ring, right? Those who have become slaves to the Dark Lord. We, we've gotten all that stuff, right? Tolkien worked that stuff out right away. So we know they're ring wraiths. Um, could there be uh, a more direct connection? Is this what happens? Are the Black Riders what happens when a hobbit picks up a ring that he finds? As one can do. Remember, there are bunches of rings all over the place. Well, or maybe there's only one. But probably there's bunches and bunches, right? Um, and they get thrown away and people find them. Um so yeah, exactly, Arthur. The theory then would be that wraiths could be corrupted rangers of Trotter's acquaintance. I don't know. I mean, this this seems like I don't see that much grounding. I mean, obviously it's speculative. I don't see that much grounding for that particular speculation. I mean, it's possible, um, but I don't think so. Uh, that is, the evidence that we get here is not Trotter being like, oh, like the Black Riders. It's awful. Like it could happen to me. It could happen to you. That doesn't seem to be the kind of shuddering. He seems to be... Like, the face in his hands thing, maybe he's remembering a friend, right? I mean, it could be like, you know, uh, you know, is this... Uh, well, for Lotro players, is this like an Amdir moment in the introductory sequence? It's conceivable, right? That is, he maybe he's remembering a friend who's been wraithified. It's conceivable, but um, it seems much more likely that he is um, thinking about his own experience with the Black Riders, that he's had a run-in with them. Um, and, 
barely survived or was tortured or something. It has passed. I keep coming back to that. There. It has passed. Right? Um, Strider doesn't say that. There. Strider does say there, but he doesn't say it has passed. He goes straight from there uh, to, you know, uh, to the business about knowing more about these writers than they do and you don't fear them enough yet. Right? Um, It has passed. Right? This... Think and and again, Karita, I go back to your observation. It's more like PTSD, right? Like in the moment, like when they're when I when I force myself to think about it, I am overwhelmed. This memory comes, and I am overwhelmed by the memory, but it but it passes eventually, right? Um. So yeah, that seems I, I that seems to me by far the likeliest explanation of this. So Trotter is a Hobbit with a dark past a tragic past, in a sense. At least a, a tortured past, conceivably. And therefore also already heroic. Right? Um, somebody who has survived the attacks uh, the attacks of the enemy. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Josiah, you're right. Very good. Josiah has recalled the passage that actually disproves the idea that they could be rangers because, well, I mean, again, Josiah, of course, he changed his mind here and there in those passages, but Josiah is recalling that moment. Remember when we're told explicitly, when Tolkien says explicitly that the necromancer hadn't, didn't have a hobbit for his collection yet, right? And he was seeking, you know, he'd be, he'd be kind of interested. He'd, he'd wraithified everybody else, but he hadn't wraithified any hobbits, so uh, so he was interested in that. Um, that, of course, would prove that it couldn't be that one of Trotter's friends had uh, become a wraith. Though, of course, as I said, Josiah, that, that assumes that that's still kind of in force here. Um, and yet, yeah, both um, both Brandon and Stephen were both pointing out at the same time that, um, naturally, you know, this kind of thing, uh, this kind of experience with PTSD, is certainly something that Tolkien would have seen himself, right? I mean, Tolkien was at the Somme, right? So, I mean, his own experience in World War One clearly would have given him, um, even if he didn't have this kind of experience himself, you know, even if he did not have this kind of a shuddering fit when recalling this, uh, and he may have done, but uh, but even if he didn't, he certainly would have... Uh, he spent long enough time as, uh, you know an invalid and convalescent in a military hospital of people who were shipped back from France that he'd have seen it plenty of times, right? Uh, uh, in others. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Um, and Nancy, well remembered. Nancy points out, you know, she, she, she first says, I wonder why he dropped this element and then points out that no, he didn't, he didn't drop it, right? Remember Nancy? He almost never drops anything. There's very few things that Tolkien just absolutely drops, right? Um, and Nancy is recalling, of course, where do we see this? Again, who who do we see as a torture victim who still recalls the memory with shuddering? Gollum. Yeah, exactly. Gollum. Remembering his torture in the Dark Tower. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, again, my problem with Trotter is not that I don't like Trotter. I do like Trotter. I just 
every time he opens his mouth, Aragorn's voice comes out, and it it gives me the creeps. It gives me the creeps. I can't handle it. Uh, um, uh, no, I'm not saying Trotter is Gollum Arthur, as you know perfectly well. Um, uh, but but yeah, no, that's that's that that. That that element is still there, um, and I just have to kind of deal with my trotter, my trotter strider issue, because again, this is just it's one of those places where you can't just say he just made a little change, right? You know, he just he just it's just a change of name, right? Change trotter to strider, and then everything's fine. No, no, Aragorn is completely different, and you have to look at these same lines that Aragorn says um, when Aragorn repeats the same line that Trotter says almost always, the context becomes uh, completely different. Josiah, well remembered. Josiah recalls, uh, although Aragorn doesn't say it has passed, somebody else does say it has passed. There's somebody else who, in a similar situation, makes that same remark. It has passed. Exactly. Stephen's got it. Boromir says that. Right, a madness took me, but it is past. Right, when he's calling out to Frodo, right after he like falls and and he tries to take the ring from Frodo, and then he falls and he recovers his wits. Right, um, it is past. It is past. So, um, yeah, yeah, Boromir says that. So again, and that shows even more clearly the kind of thing that Trotter seems to be getting at when he says it is past. Right, remember, Boromir says a madness took me, but it has passed. Right now, that's not to say that it's madness necessarily that's taking him, but this idea of <clears throat> something intruding upon him and taking him and then passing over—that's that's exactly the kind of uh, um, the kind of um, phenomenon, right? That Trotter is uh, that Trotter's describing here. Um, okay, so yeah, this is why I have a hard time. So with Trotter. Part of me wanted to look at like every single Trotter speech, right? Because like they all need to be recontextualized. Um, and again, this is why I, I, especially planning out trying to trying to teach this chapter, um, you know, and thinking it through was super difficult because usually, you know, when there are these long, smooth stretches that are almost exactly like the published Fellowship of the Ring. You know, I, I I tend to skip over those more and be like, well, you know, nothing to see here. Just kind of interesting to note that he had, you know, he was kind of humming along, uh, just like the 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 final text here. Um, except, no, I feel like we need commentary on every single line that Trotter has, and the more the, the, the more required, the closer it is to the line that uh, that Strider eventually says, uh, because it's. Every line is different now, um, uh, in the in this in this new context. But I'll try to restrain myself. Let's keep going. Um, Bingo made no answer. He looked at Trotter, grim and wild and rough-clad. It was hard to know what to do. Boy, Bingo, I feel you there. It's just what I feel about Trotter. He did not doubt that most of his tale was true, borne out as it was by the landlord's account. But it was less easy to feel sure of his good intent. He had a dark look, and yet there was something in it, and in his speech, which often strayed from the rustic manner of the rangers and brie folk, that seemed friendly and even familiar. The silence grew, and still Bingo could not make up his mind.
theories. What is it about Trotter? What's Tolkien getting at here? I mean, like, what does he mean by this? And yeah, Nancy, apparently Brie folk are rustic. At least that's what the Shire folk obviously think, right? Um, Karita, yeah, it's like that long-lost cousin vibe is what he seems to be getting from Trotter here. <laughs> Josh says, Trotter is Bilbo! Well, Josh, boy, wouldn't that put the, like, I am older than I look... Uh, uh, line into context, right? I mean, well-preserved indeed, right? Uh, I mean, okay, yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't think he's actually Bilbo, but um, but that would be kind of cool, right? Um, Something friendly, even familiar. It sounds like Tolkien is contemplating a link, a real link here, right? Um, no cheating, those of you who read ahead, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, Tolkien's come up with lots of different theories at different times. I'm interested in this right here, right now. Right, from what we can see here, what evidence is there of Tolkien's first thoughts about Trotter? Um, this to me is fascinating, especially in the context of that idea of like larger Hobbit society that we were looking at before. You know, the Rangers in the Shire and Bree in the middle. What he seems to be establishing here is a link between East and West, right? Not just a and now we go into like you know the frontier of Hobbit land and a completely new Hobbit culture, new and alternative Hobbit culture. Trotter is like going to be the ambassador in some sense. He's going to be a link. Familiar is seems way too, uh, seems way too, uh, um, heavy handed a word. And that is to say, I, 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 I don't think the word familiar would be used if he wasn't going to actually end up being related to Bingo in some way. That seems to me to be... um, That seems to me to be what's kind of on Tolkien's mind. At least that's what my money would be on in reading this passage, that one way or another he's going to turn out to be kin uh, to Bingo. Um... Remember, there were all those Tooks who went off on adventures, right? Um, because of Gandalf, right? Um, so we do. It, it is possible that you know we do have a we have potentials for that role, right? Um, but uh, but James, yeah, at least some kind of if not actually family to Bingo, which is my suspicion, at least some sort of Shire Hobbit. Right, so that we see that there is in fact a link between the Rangers and the Shire folk, and you see the impact that that has. First, we see this larger world of hobbits. Right, we 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 first learn more about the Shire as a whole, right, in chapter one and chapter two, 
and then we begin to see it's only part of the picture, right? There's way more to Hobbit World than just the Shire, right? But now we see, actually, no, there's this whole story going on, right? Trotter sh- sort of shows... Trotter is, 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 Trotter's story embraces both, clearly embraces both. The Shire, East and West, right? Trotter's everywhere. He's East and West both. Um, and that... Okay, doesn't that seem like it gives a little bit of a clue about where this story is heading? Right? Or at least like the kind of interests that this story has. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, do we have a... Sharon asks, do we have a, a potential of Trotter having some kind of personal issue like Thorne, you know, like some, some kind of personal quest that he's going on? Um, possibly. Though, of course, Sharon, his previous relationship, harrowing as it obviously was, uh, with the Black Riders, right, um, suggests that his... St- well, you know, although Sharon, you know, maybe that works, right? Maybe maybe Trotter will be to Thorin, or maybe Thorin will be to Trotter what Smaug is to the Black Riders, Right? If you know if that if that's if that's the right way to or if we say it the other way, maybe maybe the Black Riders will be to uh, to Trotter what Smaug was to Thorne. That's a better way of saying it, right? Um, maybe there's a reason. You know, that he's he has had some run in with the enemy and the enemy's people, right? And there's maybe there is a, a backstory that we'll get that will develop. Like Thorne's backstory, um, possibly, possibly. Uh, remember, we have evidence from that earlier pro- plot outline. He didn't see Tolkien; did not see Trotter coming. Right? Uh, Trotter is nowhere on the radar screen until we showed up in the pub. Right? So, uh, so who knows, Sharon? What kind of story might be kind of developing there? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Josh is trying to hurt my brain more, uh, saying, you know, there's still an echo of this, uh, you know, how I was talking about Trotter being from East and West. Josh, I was thinking of the same thing, but I was trying not to think of it, actually, because it hurts my brain. Um, but Josh pointing out Aragorn saying, I am Strider and Dunedin both, and belong to both Gondor and the North, right? Um, yes, yes, smaller scale, right? Hobbit of East and West, uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good. Um, let's keep going. Now I am suspicious. That is, this is, uh, context, um, Trotter was just saying to them, you're not suspicious enough. Right, and he says, "Now I am suspicious, and I had to make quite sure that you were genuine first before handing over any letter. I've heard of shadow parties picking up messages that were not meant for them. It has been done by my enemies before now. Also, if you want to know, it amused me to see if I could induce you to take me on just by my gifts of persuasion. It would have been nice, though quite wrong, if you had accepted me for my manners without testimonial. But there, I suppose my looks are against me." They are, said Odo, laughing. 
But handsome is as handsome does, we say in the Shire. And anyway, I dare say we shall all look much the same before long, after lying in hedges and ditches. It will take more than a few days, or weeks, or years wandering in the world to make you look like Trotter, he answered, and Odo subsided. You would die first, unless you are made of tougher stuff than you look to be. This is another one of those passages that hurts my head. Um, the first paragraph less so, because it's more different, right? The second two paragraphs more so. Um, notice how different this sounds, right? In context, when Trotter is a hobbit, this is pure hobbitry. This is hobbit banter, right? This is hobbit talk. Um, I, um... <laughs> no, no, Nadia. I don't think I don't think Odo's hitting on Trotter. I think Odo's teasing Trotter. Um, he's calling Trotter ugly, uh, which again is the is 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 the thing that you do. Uh, this shows that Odo has accepted Trotter as a friend. You can tell that Odo has accepted Trotter as a friend because of how rude he's being to him. Right? That's how you talk to your friends. Right? We've already seen this among the hobbits. Um, they're constant ribbing each other. Right? Um, and again, the things like the, the Trotter's final answer there, right? It will take more than a few days or weeks or years wandering in the world to make you look like Trotter. You would die first unless you were made of tougher stuff than you look to be. When Strider says that, it's completely crushing, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's funny because when, when Aragorn says it, it sounds almost like he can't take a joke, right? Um, you know, it would take more than a few days or weeks or years wandering in the world to make you look like Strider. It's like, okay, Captain Sirius, like, he was joking, man. Like, relax. Um, and you would die first. But when Trotter says almost exactly the same words, it sounds like he's responding to Odo in kind. Right? This is the kind of banter that we see. And of again, even... This shows not only sort of the comfort, right, of the Hobbit society and the fact that they're finding somebody who is a natural new member of their party, right? They were four hobbits traveling out of the Shire. Now they're five hobbits traveling together. And there's something, of course, familiar and friendly about Trotter anyway. Um, uh, but again, this really kind of, this that, that kind of talk really really cements it. Even the kind of joking that he has here, that he does up in the first paragraph, right? It amused me to see if I could induce you to take me on. I was trying to convince you to take me on. I was hoping you wouldn't take me on, because that would have been pretty stupid, by the way, if you had taken me on. But uh, but I was trying to see. I, I, I thought it'd be funny to see if I could do that, right? Very uh, hobbitry, right? That kind of, those kinds of jokes, just the sort of thing that would have amused Bingo, that would have amused Bilbo, right? So, uh, okay, okay. Um, But, as James was just noticing, James Stevens, Trotter does have enemies, right? Um, Notice, he just drops that, right? It has been done by my enemies before now. Dude. Who are your enemies? The Black Riders are your enemies? I mean, the kind of status that this gives to uh, uh, 
to 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 Trotter, right? Is pretty significant, especially since right before we got to Bree, we relocated the ringwraiths from the Barrow Downs to 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 Mordor, right? Always so we 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 you know relocated home base for the ringwraiths. Um, that makes Trotter kind of a big deal, right? If the Black Riders are among his enemies, as from his PTSD response, they would seem to be, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, James, I agree. James says, uh, he adds shadow parties intercepting messages. Sounds very cloak and dagger. Like, whom do you run with? Like, so you have, no, it's not just that you have enemies, like, monsters are your enemies or something, right? Or like trolls or black riders or whatever. But what, spy rings? Like shadow parties who pick up messages not meant for them? Like, who exactly are your enemies? And what exactly do they do? What's your day job, Trotter, exactly? Right? Um, I don't know. Um, I... And again, it's the fun thing is that Trotter is taking shape as Tolkien goes along, right? Again, the idea, the 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 clear evidence that Trotter was totally un um, unpremeditated is what makes all this stuff, I think, uh, really uh, really really fun. So we have these things which are very not mainstream Hobbit culture about him. But yet again, in tone and in spirit, he's very much like one of the crew. Let's keep going. They took no notice of the many inquisitive heads poking out of the door, poking out of doors, or popping over fences as they passed through the village. But as they drew near to the east end, Bingo saw a squat, sullen-faced hobbit, rather goblinish, he thought to himself. He was looking over a hedge. He had black eyes, a large mouth, and an unpleasant leer, and was smoking a blackened pipe. He took the pipe out of his mouth and spat back over his shoulder as they went by. "'Morning, Trotter,' he said. "'Found some new friends?' Trotter nodded, but did not answer. "'Morning, gentles,' he said to the hobbits. "'I suppose you know who you're going with. "'That's Dirty Trotter, that is, or so he calls himself, "'though I've heard other names not so pretty. "'But maybe a ranger is good enough for you.' Trotter turned round quickly. "'Bill Fernie,' he said. "'You put your ugly face out of sight or you'll get it broken.' Not that it'll do you much harm. <laughs> yeah, Arthur, I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Arthur says, he calls himself Dirty tr- dirty Trotter. It's exactly what it sounds like, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Few things here. First, what is the reputation of rangers? One might think, initially, whole East and West thing, right, that the anti-Ranger sentiment in Bree is comparable to the anti-Bree sentiment in the Shire, right? That is to say, every, merely that hobbits are parochial, right, and consider anything that is distant or unfamiliar uh, to be queer. But that's not, I think what we're getting here, right? There are some much more specific associations that um, that they're making, 
right? Much more specific associations um, that Bill Fernie makes with the Rangers. What do you know? Yeah, the dirty thing. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> Stephen Cover says, so Bill Fernie and Trotter are friends, right? You can tell by their insults to each other. <sighs> what an excellent point, Stephen. Compare and contrast. How can you tell the difference between the way you insult a friend and the way you insult an enemy? It's a non-trivial exercise. It really is. We get clear cues about Bill Fernie here, right? I mean... He's sullen-faced and looks like a goblin. So it's pretty clear that he's not a friendly guy. He's not one of the gang here, right? No question. <laughs> Brian Dimmick says, uh, you, can, you can tell you can, whether or not there are projectiles thrown at your face. You're right. It's a dead giveaway, Brian. That is a dead giveaway. Um, yeah, Yana and Oliver were thinking the same thing. Yeah, an apple to the face is a pretty good hint. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kate, good. Kate says the spitting is a tell. Right, good. Yeah, that, that shows us Bill Fernie's attitude, right? Um, the fact that he spits before he says what he uh what he what he does say right um uh yep that is i i i think that that's the perfect way to say it kate that is definitely a tell um yeah um And Kate, I think that's important, because I would maintain that his first line, Morning, Trotter, found some new friends? If we just had that without context, I don't think we could prove that he wasn't joking. I don't think we could prove that this wasn't hobbit badinage, right? It sounds kind of like it. Um, the latter one, though, what he says to the Shire hobbits... That, I don't think, is really mistakable for banter. I suppose you know who you're going with. That's Dirty Trotter, or so he calls himself. Though I have heard other names not so pretty. That doesn't sound like banter. I think it's pretty clear that he's, uh... Uh... That he's departed from it. But Nadia, yeah, what names are worse than Dirty Trotter? And why Dirty? Why Dirty? In what sense Dirty? Like, what kind of an insult is that? I mean, presumably he's not just mocking his hygiene. Why Dirty? <laughs> <laughs> N- 
Nadia, that's perfect. Nadia argues that since he's a ranger and therefore an eastern hobbit instead of a western shire hobbit, he doesn't feel the bath longing <laughs> that the shire hobbits feel. So eloquently expressed in Odo's bath longing song. And so not being subject to the bath longing of the shire hobbits, he is <laughs> therefore <laughs> he's therefore dirty trotter. Um, love it. Love it. <laughs> There are two senses, of course, right, in which he could be calling him Dirty Trotter. One is in the literal sense, right, that, like, literal, literally dirty, unclean, slovenly, something like that. And the other is, is like, dirty, dirty, dirty tricks, right, um, that he's a criminal, right? Um, he's a... Uh, 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 Dirty, dirty in the sense, and you know, like uh, in which, in which, like a politician is dirty, or uh, something like that. Um, corrupt, Brian, exactly, exactly, um, or underhanded, maybe. But yeah, I think, I think. Um, John, I also am thinking more in terms of wild and uncouth. Yeah, contaminated by outside lands, Margaret. That's a really interesting way uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 th- to think about it. To say what I was kind of thinking as well. Um, east and west. Remember, right? Why do they look down on the rangers in Bree? There's clearly a thing. There's clearly a social negative associations with rangers in Bree. What is it? I think one would seem to be that they're that they're traps, right? Um, the kind of hobbit that's ready to dig a hole in in a bank and live there, you know, uh, to just kind of burrow into a bank. Um, uh, yeah, uncivilized, Veronica, living in the wilderness, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I tend to think that it's that, rather than crooked or corrupt sense of dirty, that Bill Fernie is using here. Um, though, of course, as Kate points out, from somebody who would, you know, smoke his blackened pipe and then spit, it seems, uh, uh, you know... Critiques of Trotter's personal hygiene seem seem, seem a little rich coming from Bill Fernie, uh, but that's not the point, right? It's not it's not about how physically soiled he is at the time. Of course, it's about it's not about his hygiene; it's about his habits. It's about his where he lives um, and how he lives more than it is about him personally. I think this is a class thing. I think that um, Bill Fernie is looking down, and that, and the spitting suggests that to me too. He's looking down on Trotter, right? And when he says, I've heard other names not so pretty, there I think he is suggesting bad behavior, right, on Trotter's part, criminal behavior on Trotter's part. But in the sense that people have always associated criminal... There's a reason why the word villain came to mean what it does, right? The word villain, the original... It was a synonym for peasant, right? It means somebody who lives out in the country, 
um, and villain came to have its modern meaning because, uh, you know, vicious and villainous, uh, uh, villainous in the modern sense, um, habits and attitudes uh, and proclivities were associated with peasants, right? Uh, so... Uh, yeah, exactly, Kate. More like a more like a gypsy thing. Exactly, exactly. Talking, talking to them, uh, that his his attitude towards Trotter seems to be more like the attitude of like a settled, you know, townsman to a gypsy. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Several people are observing that. Uh, uh, Bill Fernie should consider himself fortunate that it was an apple and not a drinking vessel that got dashed into his face and that he was not indeed chased off after stripped naked and chased off a cliff chased off a cliff afterwards. Indeed, yes, he is fortunate. Uh Turin Turambar would not have treated him so uh calmly as Trotter did. Um But then again, Bill Fernie is not directly insulting Trotter's mother either, so there's that. Um uh, yeah, so Brian, exactly. That's what I was thinking. If the rangers are basically nomadic, if they don't have an established place where they live, it would make sense that the other hobbits would look down on them for not settling uh, into regular holes and towns. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. So th- th- this is to me an interesting glimpse in what ranger meant. Before Ranger came to mean what it eventually means, right? Um, what it meant originally here, um, and the kind of ironic contrast with uh, with Bill Fernie, and of course, the fact that it's Sam's lines and Sam's action, right? Sam's wasting of a good apple um, is given to is given to, to 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 Trotter here, of course, and not to one of the not to one of the Shire hobbits. Um, Yeah. Which, of course, I just uh, love about uh, uh, Sam. I love the 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 giving of that to to uh, to Sam. I love that in lots of ways. Um, yeah. Anyway, all right. Let's keep going. Let's talk about Gandalf. <clears throat> Well, it's like this, said Trotter, dropping his voice. He got up and went to the door, opened it quickly, looked out, and then shut it quietly and sat down again. I have quick ears, and though I can't disappear into thin air, I can take care no one sees me when I don't wish them to. I was behind a hedge when a party of travelers was halted by the road not far west from here. There was a cart and horse and ponies, a whole pack of dwarves, one or two elves, and a wizard. Gandalf, of course. There's no mistaking him, you'll agree. They were talking about a certain Mr. Bingo Bulger Baggins and his three friends that were supposed to be riding on the road behind. A bit incautious of Gandalf, I must say, but then he was speaking low, and I have quick ears, and was lying pretty close. What really interests me in these passages about Gandalf... Of course, Gandalf doesn't enter the narrative at any point here in this section, right? Um, But uh, we can, from we we talk, we hear a lot about Gandalf and what Gandalf is doing. So what I would like to do is sort of reconstruct Gandalf's story 
as it's told in these segments here. So Gandalf has left the party, right? He left the birthday party, uh, you know, the long-expected party, which was still Bingo's party, right? And still just happened a couple days back. So Bingo's just had his long-expected party. Gandalf left with the wagons, right, with the dwarves and elves. Bingo comes a little bit afterwards. There's some agreement. Gandalf is expecting Bingo to follow along. Right, so there's some agreement between Bingo and Gandalf. They they were planning to meet up. Um, Gandalf, not only is apparently clueless about the Black Riders, right? Um, that is, has no idea apparently here that Bingo is in danger. Um, this whole scene is a little bit shocking, in a sense. Right, it's a little bit startling. It's a little bit odd, and well. Exactly. Uh, exactly, Brandon. Why is Trotter spying on Gandalf here? Um, but what is Gandalf doing? Why is Gandalf... Um, why depict Gandalf as incautious? Now, I suppose we could say, okay, Gandalf's not really being incautious, right? If we... If we hear what Trotter is saying here, and from it draw the conclusion Gandalf is really being shockingly sloppy, right? If that's our conclusion, we're probably missing the point. Because I think the point is Trotter's puffing himself up, right? <clears throat> A little incautious of Gandalf, I have to say, to be overheard by little old me, right? Sneaking up as I was, right? But, actually, come to think of it, I was sneaking pretty effectively, right? Hard to blame Gandalf for it, Right? I mean, I, I think that he's clearly uh, just trying to build himself up, right? And what a good sneaking job he did. And yes, exactly, Josh. He apparently avoided being seen by the elves as well. Um, and yet, Nancy, back to the clandestine activities, right? Back to, like, uh, you know, Trotter in the espionage ring of rangers, right? And shadow groups trying to intercept messages, you know, whatever kind of hobbit intelligence gathering is going on in this region that the rangers are up to. This, this is what Trotter does, right? Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's big into stealth and he eavesdrops on folks, right? Does spend a great deal of time lying under hedges. Uh, Oliver, you're exactly right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Brian asks, why did Gandalf depart only a day or two before Bingo if he expected Bingo to follow him? Um, why does he wait longer if he expects Bingo to follow him? So, you know, again, <clears throat> I don't want to draw from this that Gandalf is in fact being incautious, but Gandalf is certainly being very casual, right? Um, what we're clearly getting is that at this point, Gan- the, the story that is unfolding is taking Gandalf completely by surprise, Right, he's still on his jaunt with a pack of dwarves and elves, and they're talking freely amongst themselves. Right? I mean, okay, he's speaking low, but still, they're not like looking over their shoulders. Right? They're not. They're not checking to see if they're being eavesdropped on. They're just one, and they're like, oh, whatever. Bingo will catch up in a couple days. Right? No big deal. Yeah, Stephen, you would think that his uh, clippity-clap wooden shoes would perhaps undermine his espionage <laughs> career, but apparently not, right? It's just, a, it's just a handicap that Trotter can deal with. 
"'Good morning,' said I. "'And where may, may you be going to, and where may you be coming from?' says I, pleasant-like. But he winks at me, and says nothing, and neither did any of his folk. But later on he drew me aside, and he said, "'Butterbur,' said he, "'I have some friends behind that will be passing your way before long. They should be here by Tuesday if they can follow a plain road. They are hobbits. One is a round-bellied little chap, begging your pardon, sir, with red cheeks, and the other just young, and the other's just young hobbits.' They'll be riding on ponies. Just tell them to push along, won't you? I'll go on slow from here, and they had best catch me up if they can. Now don't go telling anybody else, and don't encourage them to stop here for a holiday. Your beer's good, but they must take what they can quick and move on, see? Okay. Gandalf's urgency increasing slightly, right? But the first, the origin of the message left with Butterbur which, of course, is not forgotten, or at least not for very long. Um, what's What message has Gandalf left for them? Right, He can't stay, he's got to continue on, but his message is, push along, will you? Seriously, that's the extent of his urgency. Tell them to push along, will you? Make sure they don't hang out here and drink beer for days on end. That's all I ask, right? Um, he's not going to wait... Um, but uh, he wants to make sure they don't spend extra days here. Gandalf, not seeming too concerned about Bingo's safety, uh, not seem too worried really about anything, right? Um, his letter, which is pretty much the same in both versions, very similar anyway. Monday morning, September 26th. Dear B., don't stop long in Bree, not for the night if you can help it. Have learned some news on the way. Pursuit is getting close. Ah, this is more like it. Notice the increase of Gandalf's urgency here, right? There are seven at least, perhaps more. On no account, use it again, not even for a joke. Don't move in dark or mist. Push along by day. Try and catch me up. I cannot wait here for you, but I shall go slow for a day or two. Look out for our camp on Weathertop Hill. I shall wait there as long as I dare. I am giving this to a ranger, Wild Hobbit, known as Trotter. He is dark, long-haired, has wooden shoes. You can trust him. He is an old friend of mine and knows a great deal. He will guide you to Weathertop and further if necessary. Push along. Okay. The message is still push along, right? That's, that's you know, uh, get a move on. But it's not. it's no longer don't hang out in Bree too long. Don't even spend the night. Now Gandalf knows about the pursuit. Right? Um, why is he not waiting for him? Why is he still leaving Bingo on his own? Why can't he wait for him? Still doesn't say explicitly, right? Uh, presumably, you know, we can guess from what he says here that he's going to kind of draw the Black Riders on, right? Though he says he's going to go deliberately slowly in order to allow Bingo to catch him up, right? Um, So, yeah, I don't know what his plan is. Is he going to be... Yeah, James, is he, is he actively distracting them or something? Um, but, yeah, that Arthur and Oliver are both interested in the exclamation point after the wooden shoes, right? Um, has wooden shoes? This is remarkable to everybody, right? Um, Gandalf doesn't... The exclamation point is clearly Gandalf's acknowledgement that this is weird, 
right? It's weird for a hobbit to be wearing wooden shoes. This is Trotter's trademark. This is not, which we learn from Butterbur when he's introduced by name, right? He's called Trotter because of his wooden shoes. So this is a characteristic. This is not like a ranger fashion trend, right? This is, this is specific to Trotter. Um, and the exclamation point, but through the explanation, exclamation point, Gandalf draws attention to it. Right, um, and it's the proof. Yeah, it's the proof of his identity. Exactly, uh, uh, Brandon. You can trust Trotter because of his wooden shoes. Right, um, and yeah, Josiah. Good notice. Although the uh, the the urgency is increasing, Gandalf is still traveling with the party. Right, um, our camp on Weathertop, as Josiah points out. He's still got his dwarves and elves with him. Right, um, he's not splitting up. He's not traveling on his own. He's still just going on with his presumably Rivendell-bound caravan out of the Shire um, post-party. Right. Um, now he has heard heard about the Black Riders, but he's still not concerned enough to actually deviate from his itinerary. Okay, he's going to deviate from his itinerary in the sense of slowing down, but that's it. Right. I'm going to try to make it easier for you to catch up, but that's all he's going to do. Now, we do get those references to the ring which are clearly important, right? Um, on no account use it again, not even for a joke. Remember the passages earlier on that suggested using it for a joke is okay, right? One of the only ways that it's okay to use the ring, as long as you're using it to play a prank on somebody, you're fine, right? No, apparently not. You're not fine even if you're joking, right? The joke clause you can no longer invoke on the ring safety issue. Um, and don't move in dark or mist, Push along by day. Try and catch me up. Um, all right, so 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 some interesting developments there. Then on Weathertop, he pushed the pile of stones with his foot, and the topmost stones fell down with a clatter. Something white set free began to flutter in the wind. It was a piece of paper. Trotter seized it eagerly and read out the message scrawled on it. Waited three days. Must go. What has happened to you? Push on for the ford beyond Trollshaw as fast as you can. Help will come there from Rivendell as soon as I can manage it. Be watchful, G. Three days, said Trotter. Then he must have left while we were still in the marshes. I suppose we were too far away for any glimpse of our miserable. I suppose we were too far away for any glimpse of our miserable fires. Um. Yes, Nancy, this is very much less subtle as a form of message leaving, right? Um, he did, Nancy, you'll notice, conceal his note under a rock, right? On the pile of rocks. So it's not like he just left it tacked to something, right? Uh, fluttering around. Um, but um, first of all, notice his hurry. His tone is changing. Waited three days. Must go. What has happened to you? Notice that there's no exclamation, no question mark, rather, after what has happened to you. Right? Um, Gandalf is writing in too much of a hurry to punctuate elaborately. Right? Um, he's just jotting down. Waited three days. Must go. What has happened to you? Push on for the ford beyond Trollshaw as fast as you can. Um... Be watchful. Help will come there. Um, the only two subordinate clauses we get 
right? The only time he goes beyond a, a short, simple sentence is, as fast as you can, and as soon as I can manage it. Both of them talking about speed, right? Gandalf's urgency has definitely increased. Um, he's still... Uh, but, I mean, Nancy, as you were pointing out, he has not achieved the level of paranoia that he's going to achieve, right? Um, but uh, Gandalf can't figure out what's... But notice, Gandalf is still fairly clueless, right? What has happened to you? I don't know, were you, like, kidnapped by Barrowites or something? I mean, lots has happened to them. And Gandalf has no idea what it could be and doesn't seem to, like, are you in mortal peril or something? Have you been near the brink of death several times? Right? Uh, This, you know, Gandalf still not being able to wait, still pushing on. We don't get a clear explanation of that. It's not obvious. Why is Gandalf moving on? Why is Gandalf not doubling back for them? Um... Yeah, he's he's still James, as you say, he's still just telling him to push on, right? The message is still the same. Um, his urgency is increased, but it's, his urgency hasn't reached the tipping point yet, right? He's not going to ride back and look for them. Um, he's not going to come back and help them out. He's he still seems only kind of impatient. What has happened to you does not, to me, suggest anxiety, right? Like I'm terribly afraid you may already be dead. That's not how I would paraphrase that sentence. Uh, instead, it sort of sounds like what you have me, you know, taken your time, haven't you? Bingo. Bingo. Um, uh, so it's interesting to see Gandalf's role in the story developing in the sense of that urgency increasing that, that, that rush, um, building up, but yet his role isn't changing. He's still like, I'm plodding along with my wagon and my elves and my dwarves, and we're looking over our shoulders with increasing anxiety, maybe, for you. Uh, but, uh, but that's still all we're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Look at the black riders. It was the same story. He wanted news of four hobbits with five ponies, but he seemed more pressing and eager-like. Indeed, to tell you the truth, he offered me a tidy bit of gold and silver if I would tell him which the way they had gone, or promise to watch out for them. There's lots of hobbits and ponies round here and on the road, said I, thinking things mighty curious and not liking the sound of his voice. This is Butterbur, of course, talking to the Black Rider, or relating his conversation with the Black Riders. But I haven't seen any party of that sort. If you give me a name, maybe I could give a message if they happen to call it my house. At that, he sat silent for a moment. And then, sir, he says, the name is Baggins, Bulger Baggins. And he hissed out the end of it like a snake. Any message? So, Bolger Baggins. Any message, says I, all of a Twitter. Nay, just tell him that we are seeking him in haste, he hissed. You may see us again, perhaps. And with that, he and his fellows rode away, and disappeared quickly, quick in the darkness, <clears throat> being all wrapped up in black-like. Um, what do we notice about the Black Riders? Um, I'm going to stop after this. I've been keeping you too long. But uh, we saw the Black Riders, this sort of the development of the idea of the Black Riders with Trotter, right? In whatever happened in Trotter's past, which was clearly related to the Black Riders. Whatever the Black Riders did to Trotter, 
Trotter's moment of PTSD makes the Black Riders more horrible than they have been yet. Clearly, right? They were a little comic, if anything, with the sniffing at the beginning. I mean, the sniffing was creepy, but it wasn't horrifying, right? It wasn't terrifying. Now that we see Trotter, who's pretty tough, right, you know, shuddering and covering his face and, and saying it has passed, they're a little more intimidating, right? What's Butterbur's impression? Yeah, I agree, Brian. They're still not as terrible as they... W- they're not as terrifying as they will become. Brian Dimmick points out that they, they make people uncomfortable, not terrified, right? They, they give him the... They g- they give him they give him the tweets, Kate. Right, exactly. They 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 set him all a Twitter, but you know it's uh, the response is not abject terror by uh, uh, by 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 Butterbur here. Um, more stress on the weird vocal quality, Kate. Yes, and notice two things. Notice not only the fact that the sound is described, the hissing. The name is Baggins, Bolger Baggins. But just tell him that we are seeking. Once, once the once he says that, the sibilants jump out, and everything else they say. Just tell him that we are seeking him in haste. You may see us again, perhaps. Lots of sibilants there, right? Very hissy speech. Once our attention is drawn uh, to the sound of it. Um, But what does that make us think of? Exactly, Kate and James. It sounds like Gollum, right? Gollum is the king of sibilance, right? Absolutely, he is the reigning, he's the so- the sovereign of sibilance, I suppose I should call him. Um, uh, Tolkien himself even joked about that in, in like some of his letters about revising the hobbits. Uh, the hobbit, he points to a piece of, Go- of Gollum's dialogue and, and jokes about how he would never lose a chance of a sibilant Gollum would. Um, uh, wouldn't. So, so isn't that kind of fun, right? That they actually sound like Gollum with the hissing? Um, exactly, Josiah. Perhaps wraithification, perhaps, you know, being affected by the ring induces hissing, right? Uh, it, yeah. It's entirely possible, um, and yeah, I, I, James and uh, um, uh, who else? Yeah, Nancy was pointing out why how odd it is that they 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 rise to the bait. Butterbur is putting them off, right? Obviously, putting them off. I mean, if you give me a name, maybe I could give a message. If they happen to call at my house, that is a polite shove off. Clearly by Butterbur, right? But they rise to it. They do it. The name is Baggins. Bulger Baggins. Um, they leave a message. We are seeking him in haste. So if you see Mr. Bulger Baggins, tell him that we are seeking him in haste. Why do they do that? I don't know why they do that. Um, but I, I find that very curious. They are... Um, they're trying to bribe, right? They offer a tidy bit of gold and silver for information about Bingo's whereabouts. 
Um, oh, Sarah's wondering if the if the um, if the ringwraith is speaking of himself in the plural. Is he using the royal we? No, I think he's talking about the other bike riders there. Yeah, Sarah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the plural. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the only conclusion I can make from the black rider's willingness that his target should know that they're after him is to increase his fear. Um, this black rider seems to care less about maximizing the efficiency with which he catches Mr. Baggins, Boulder Baggins, and instead um, seems to want to induce fear. Yeah, if you see Mr. Bolger Baggins, tell him we're seeking him in haste. <laughs> right, in haste. Um, that's scary. That's scary. That's legitimately scary. Um, and again, it shows... Uh, it shows... Uh, Kate thinks it's just another excuse for a sibilant. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, they seem to be wanting to uh, uh, to induce fear in Bingo. Um, Oliver points out he's also threatening Butterbur with the possibility of returning. That's true. Uh, that's true. But um, but yeah, I just like what's going to be the effect of telling Bolger Baggins that they're after him, that they're seeking him. Right, um, it's got to be to terrify him, and that's that's interesting to me. Um, we still don't remember. We don't really know for sure. Gandalf in those uh, passages that uh, Tolkien was writing when he was working out the whole ring ray thing. You may remember uh, Gandalf was uncertain. Right? <laughs> remember, remember Bingo asking. Is that bad? <laughs> right? Is, is that good or bad that, that the necromancer would be seeking him? And it was like, no, okay, well, good is out, right? But it might be bad, it might be really bad, or it might be awful. Remember that? Um, we, and we still don't know. It wasn't really resolved. Why is the Lord of the Ring possibly singular, possibly plural, seeking bingo? We don't know what he wants. Is this a recruitment thing? Is this a punishment thing? Is this a we're going to kill you where you stand thing? Is this a we're going to take you back and enslave you thing? Is is this a we're going to demand a really awkward payment and then threaten to break your kneecaps? We don't know. I mean, it's it's there are several possibilities that Gandalf um, that Gandalf gives. That's why I'm interested in what seems to be this desire to inspire fear by the Black Riders because there seems to be a kind of a hint there, right? Um, we don't care if you run. Go ahead and run. Right? We want you to run and we want you to be terrified. They seem to want him... So, does this mean they're just trying to punish him? Um, I don't think... Um, if your only goal is to catch somebody, you don't say, and tell him I'm looking for him. Right? You just don't do that. Right? So, I, I, this suggests to me that the acquisition of bingo is not necessarily their exclusive goal. Um, yeah, we'll see. And yes, as Josiah and Oliver were remembering, um, you know, about 
what Strider tells them about their power being in in terror and and in fear. Um, it is a it is a more explicit example of that. Yes, that they would it would that would already put him under their power to some extent. The more terrified of them he is, heck, maybe it would make it easier to follow him. Maybe they can smell it. His fear. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Josh, they're playing with him. They're playing with him, and it's even more eerie because of the way it's in response to 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 Barnabas Butterbur playing with him, with them, right? Oh, well, you know, give me a message and I'll totally pass that on, right? Um, and they respond not exactly in kind, right? Um, but uh, creepy playfully, right? Cat and mouse playfully, Josh, as you say. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's stop there. Next time, we'll carry on to the Ford and we'll see if I can uh, have another week to uh, reconcile myself to... Uh, Trotter's existence and Trotter's dialogue, and we'll see how I do next time. Thanks, everybody, for joining me, and I will see you guys next Wednesday. Bye now.